Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 107. Today, I want to talk to you about Jubilee, Yovel, the day when everything began new in ancient Israel and in modern Israel today. It is a season of rejoicing, a season of shouting, a season of freedom and liberty. And we find the reference to this, God's appointed day in the book of Leviticus 25, not 23, but 25, because it has a special section just for Jubilee. Now, it may take me a while to get through this, so I want you to hold on. If we need to, we will go into another day, another session, another podcast. But I want to get through this because the meaning is so rich, not only for then and for God's people Israel, but for God's people the church. And so I want to call your attention to Leviticus 25 and verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give to you, then the land shall keep a Shabbat unto the Lord. Now notice the land is personified. Yes, the land and the people of God cannot be extricated one from the other. They are talked about in the same breath. You see, God gives to the land personhood. It feels, it grieves, it spews out, it rejoices. All of these are characteristics of a person, and you cannot separate the two. This is why the people and the land go hand in hand together. This is why there is no division of the land, because if you do that, you divide the very people of God. And it is hard for the Western mindset to grasp this in relationship to modern-day Israel. But the land and the people are looked upon synonymously. I'm sorry for those of you who do not believe that this is a literal fulfillment, but God says exactly what he means and means exactly what he says. He says, six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and shall gather its fruit. Now remember, Shabbat, the Sabbath, is once a week. You have six days that you work, and then on the seventh day, you rest. Well, God has a sabbatical year. That means six years you work, and on the seventh, you rest. So it is called the sabbatical year, not the sabbatical day. So Leviticus 23 speaks of the sabbatical day, which is one day of the week. But the sabbatical year is one year in seven. Six years you work the land, and then the land needs to rest, just like the people need to rest. And so he says, but in the seventh year, there shall be a Shabbat of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. This is for God's glory. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the Lord. And the Shabbat produce of the land shall be food for you, for you and your servant, for your maidservant and your hired servant, for the stranger who sojourns among you, for your livestock and the animals that are in your hand, all its produce shall be for food. 
and you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourselves, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years. So a week is seven days. A week of sabbatical years is forty-nine years. And so he says, Then you shall cause the trumpet of jubilee, to sound in the tenth day of the seventh month on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all of its inhabitants. Now, where have you heard that before? Of course, on the great Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, because our forefathers understood that the basis of our liberty is rooted and grounded in the Judeo ethic, in the Judeo Christian ethic, and the Word of God. And so that's why you have so many scriptures all over Washington, D.C. Why, if you're going to take all the scriptures out of the places in Washington, D.C., you're going to destroy every monument. And of course, that's what's being tried today by those uh, socialists and Marxists and leftists who want to destroy any kind of trace of the Judeo Christian ethic mindset and value system. And so that's verse 10. And he says, and each of you shall return to his possession. Each of you shall return to his family. The 50th year shall be a jubilee, a time of rejoicing. In it, you shall neither sow nor reap what sows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. That is, everything, every inheritance was to be taken back to its original owner. Why? Because God never wanted a more than a generation, more than a generation of families, to live in poverty and to sell everything out from under them and never have a chance. God wanted all of his people to have a brand new beginning every week. Then every seven years, they were to have a new beginning on the eighth year. And now God says, I want every generation to have a new beginning every 50 years. And so he says, even if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after Jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of crops, you shall sell to them. And he goes on and gives instructions about how to lease land, how to buy land. And then he says in verse 18, so you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them and you shall dwell in the land safely. Then the land will yield its fruit. Now listen to this. It's amazing. It's miraculous. Then the land will yield its fruit and you shall eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? Because you've worked six years, you're not going to do anything on the seventh. You're going to let the crops just go by themselves. Then what are we going to eat since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce? Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year. God says, I'm going to bless you. You see, he's in control of the crops, not as the ancient Canaanites who were continually looking to the God of fertility and the God of the crops and the God of the rain and the God of the sun. No, 
God is in control. There is only one true and living God, and his name is, as we know it in the New Testament, Jesus. But his word is Yahweh, some would say, Yahweh, some would say, Yehieh, some would say, but it is Hashem. It is that four-letter tetragrammaton that the high priest only spoke once a year, and no one else spoke it because they were afraid that they would use the Lord's name in vain. So he says in verse 21, then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth produce enough for three years. Now, this happened all the time in the sixth year, and you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce until the ninth year, until the produce comes in, you shall eat of its old harvest. Now, here's the way this went. God said in the sixth year, I want you to sow your crops But in the seventh year, I'm going to give you enough in the harvest of the sixth year. Now, think about this. Enough for the seventh year, enough for the eighth year, because you've got to sow in the eighth year. And then until the crops come in in the ninth year, which is three years worth of crops, I'm going to give you in one year. Now, is God able to do that? (laughs) Well, that's a little thing to him. After all, he spoke and the entire universe came into being. He made man in his own image. Why, God can do anything. And you say, well, you'd have to believe in supernatural to believe that. Yes, because you see, our God is supernatural. He is supranatural. He is above all, and he is the one that gives life. He is the sustainer of life. So it's a little thing for him, just like it was for the manna. On the sixth day, he gave enough manna for not only the sixth day, but the seventh day until they went out and gathered on the eighth day or the beginning of the next week. You see, God's in control. Again, I want you to understand, we serve a sovereign, mighty, holy, wonderful God, and he owns the land and all the cattle on it. That's why the psalmist said, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And someone said, yes, and he owns the hills too. And yes, he does. God is the great provider. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of life. And in our next podcast, we're going to learn more about how this relates to us in the spiritual realm of the kingdom. Until the next time, as you walk on the way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.